Hi, and welcome to Fossilfern Christian Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message, and it will both challenge and inspire you. Okay. Praise God. All right. Well, well let's, uh, let's uh, move on. Let's take the next step. Let's turn to Psalms 137, 1 to 6. Uh, and you'll be familiar with this verse. Uh, you've probably read it anyway, but you'll remember the song. Uh, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yet yeah, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps on the willows in the midst of it. And for there those who carried us away uh, captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Uh, this morning, I want to ask you, what songs are you singing? And I know there's the literal question and the figurative question. There's the genuine question about what literally are you singing? And there's also the metaphor about what, what are you singing? What, what's the melody in your heart at the moment? And so I do want to ask that question um, because songs... Uh, you know, we can get so, what's the word, not melancholy. When you're talking about the past and you live in the past, what's that called? You revisit the past. Reminisce. When you reminisce, when you get, there's another word. Anyway, all of those words. And um, nostalgic. Who said that? Deb said it first. Who said it second? Okay, who said it third? <laughs> I said it last, but that's the word. Deb, stop mumbling so I could hear you clearly. Anyway, so um, let's usually ask people to ask Debbie to slow down and shh, and today we're asking her to speak up. Um, it's a new season we're living in, praise God. Uh, so, nostalgic. It's, it's incredibly powerful. We're watching... You know, because we keep unusual hours, so when we come home and we want to just veg, it's hard just to click on the television because, anyway, we got Netflix and we go through, try to find some series. And and depending on on what... The, some of them are too heavy, disturb you too much. Some of them are too silly. You just, anyway, we found this thing and we've got entrenched with the story and it's not a particularly good story. It's just that the songs they play are very nostalgic. And the power of that is amazing. It just, it just dawned on us. We're sat there and James says to me, you think we're watching this because we like the songs? And I'm going, well, I've been playing my game on my phone half an hour, I don't know. But um, yeah, I think it is. I think we're watching this because the songs they use are very nostalgic. So um, what are the songs we've been singing recently? You've been singing recently. What are the songs you've been listening to, meditating on. Because uh, songs can remind you of your past incredibly powerfully, um, both positively and negatively. You can hear a song and one minute you're heartbroken, the next minute you're wishing you was back there. You're happy. But, you know, such incredible power. There's songs that reflect your current situation. 
and, and maybe you identify because the lyrics of the song or the tempo of the song, whether you're angry, whether you're happy, whether you're full on. The, the, the songs that re currently represent the current situation or the songs of the future, which can be laments because of bad decisions, mistakes that have ruined my future, or you can be singing songs because you've got a great hope of something great, much better than you're enjoying the present time for the future. So what, what songs are you singing? Or have you given up singing? Now I'm speaking physically as well as spiritually, but obviously there's a spiritual implication here. Our psalm for today is of a people who suffered great loss. Now, you, you hear that verse and you probably think of Boney M. By the rivers of Bab. And it's like this real cool... Yeah, Gavin knows it off by heart. And, but the deal is... The people in that verse had suffered incredible loss. They'd lost people they cared for. People they loved and cared for. They'd, they'd literally lost them. People had died and they'd lost them. They lost their homes, not just the buildings, the property, which, which is valuable anyway, but they, they lost the place that is their homes. They lost businesses. They lost relationships. Um, they, they went for incredible loss. And what made it worse was they realised it was their own doing. They had it all and they took it for granted. And then the consequences of neglecting the Lord and, and excluding him and moving out from him allowed judgment in and literally they lost everything. So they lost much more than an address or the name of a city because their city was their hope. Um, it was symbolic, you remember, of the presence of God. It was symbolic of their relationship with God, their place in God. It was symbolic of their prosperity. It was symbolic of their protection, their provision. It was symbolic of the great future that awaited them. So it was more than just an address. They, they lost so much and they're grieving. Uh, and in Psalm 137, of course, verse 1, it goes, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yeah, we wept when we remembered Zion. It's suggesting here that as they approached the city of their captives, their vanquishers, they looked at the city and they were reminded of their own city as... as as we sat down there, we, as we approached this city, we sat down by the, the great river. They never seen a river like this, but there was a great river and, they, and it made them realise what they'd lost again. It, they, they not only experienced all the physical abuse and the hardships of being taken into slavery and made to walk all this way, but when they got there and saw the city, what did they do? It caused them to think about Zion. It caused them to think about Jerusalem. So they sat there outside the city, and, and, they're, and they're grieving again. And so uh, in verses 2 and 4 now, 137, 2 and 4, we young our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. 
and those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So the captors weren't looking for entertainment. They weren't weary and said, hey, sing us a song to make us feel good. Or they, they said they were rubbing it in. Um, they were wanting to crush any hope of, of returning. But they wanted to remind them what they'd lost. They, they wanted to firmly set this new reality in place. They wanted to establish this new reality and so they never forget. And so when they're singing, singing the songs, it wasn't because they were fans of the music. It, it wasn't because it was relaxing. It wasn't because they wanted it. It was for one purpose, to make sure that these broken people stayed broken. And they said, but how can we sing a song of the Lord? How can we sing this song in this place? I just want to echo that sentence in the verse 37 verse 4. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How can we sing the Lord's song in a place where no, we're not supposed to be? How can we sing the Lord's song in a place that's not where he wants us to be? Not where we could be, not where we should be. How can we sing that song here? That, that's, that was their response to this, this aggressive, this, this determined effort to really crush them, to break them even more. How, it just made, it reminded, how can we sing the Lord's song? Because that's what they were famous of. How can we sing the Lord's song in the place where we shouldn't be, where we don't have to be? I want you to get that question. And you know, now we've gone from the historical to the relative, to, to what's happening now. We've gone from talking about the past to talking about the present. Um, you know, I'm not asking over the historical subjects of this verse, but I'm asking us, the church, I'm asking us churchgoers. I'm asking us as Christians. Those who have had a very long and strong tradition of singing the Lord's song. I just realized when we was worshiping, I'm going, what a morning to preach this sermon. Just when we thought we got it right, all the computer stuff started and there was problems with this and problems with that. And I'm going... Oh no, maybe I should come up with another quick sermon because, you know, I'm talking about singing songs and we're struggling singing songs this morning. But, but of course, the truth is, it, it's not about the song. It's about the one we're singing to. And it's about the heart that we're singing from. And so, we've got a, the church, historically. We, our movement, but here, at this church, we have a very long and strong tradition of singing our in our services, of singing the Lord's song. But then I, I want to ask the question. I, I, I'm pondering now, why, why is it, and, and this is a general question, not specific to here or us, 
But why is it many, many Christian churchgoers don't really sing the songs? Or they might utter the words because of nostalgic value, but they're not with their whole heart entering into the song. They're not praising, they're not worshipping, they're just going through. Why is that? And I can't help but wonder if it's not, well, how can we sing the song if we're not in the place we're supposed to be? Maybe we could tweak it a little bit and say, well, we're not singing the song because I'm not where I'm supposed to be in the Lord. Or maybe we could tweak it again and say, well, I'm not singing the song because something else has got my attention. I'm focused on something else. I, th- I think it's a fair question. Luke 19, 37 to 40. You'll be again familiar with this passage. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with loud voice and all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you the I tell you that if these should keep silent, the souls themselves would immediately cry out. The Pharisees condemned such lavish emotional display. I don't know about you, but I've heard that argument several times over the last decade or two. Yeah, yeah, but it's just, this music is just, it's all emotion. It's lavish, it's over the top. Even now, you know, regularly on... Uh, different mediums, we, we, we hear the criticism of, of people about certain styles of music and, and they'll list them they'll, and they'll tell you why they're so terrible. They'll tell you why Hillsong is just the worst songs to sing. They'll tell you why um, Bethel is just so dangerous to sing. It's so bad. They'll tell you why Maverick is just... And they go through a list and explain why. And yet I've never heard one of their songs... People focus in on what people doing wrong instead of saying, well, what they're getting right here. Even this week I had a conversation with somebody uh, uh, that led from one of these discussions and it wasn't negative, it was positive. But I said, I'll tell you what, forget the leadership, forget the church they're in, but these people actually write the songs. Most of them, and I might be wrong, but I guarantee most of them are singing about a new revelation they just had. They've penned some words and put music to this incredible insight that they've been given by the Holy Spirit. And it might be old and it might sound like something from a hymn hundreds of years ago. But the thought is right now, that person just right there and then had a revelation. They, the light went on and they saw, this is something about God. And it moved them so much that they put songs to it and it's sung everywhere now. And I'm thinking, for me, that's important. All right, it might not be. It might not be like explain everything and put things in right order. And, it, you know, but the truth is this, this is their experience with God right now. And as long as it matches with the Bible, you know, I'm not really bothered but these people play their own music. <laughs> They've been on holidays so long they think they're still on holidays. 
Love you, Pam, really do. I hope she's not embarrassed. I was going to say pray for her, but perhaps you ought to pray for me. <laughs> I might hear about this on Tuesday. Anyway, um, where was we? So, would you agree with me that most of the wonderful songs, many of them repeat the thoughts of centuries ago and wonderful hymns and all the classics and all, but, but right now it's not that somebody's copied them or plagiarized. They're written because somebody's had a revelation of that truth and they've communicated it. They've got excited about it, communicated it, and, and they've, they've put in the relative modern music, the, the sound of the era in that song to express, because that's what they've grown up with. The Pharisees condemned such lavish and emotional display. And, and no doubt they probably thought Jesus' comments of the stone singing was very unnatural. But I want to suggest it's the most natural thing there is. I want to suggest that not singing is unnatural. And the reason why we don't sing is because something unnatural happened and brought doubt or fear or cynicism, criticism into our lives, judgment, and it was unnatural, but it came in and we've embraced it or it's got a hold of us. I, I want to suggest that singing is the singing praise unto God especially. And, and I haven't written this down because it was so, there was so long a verse, but I, in Psalm 148, I'm going to read it anyway. It's not on the thing, so don't worry. I'll just read it to you anyway. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun, moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. Praise him, the heaven of heavens. Praise him, you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Everything that was created is commanded to praise him. He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which will, shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the depths. Fire and hail, snow, clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. Mountains and hills, fruitful trees and all cedars. Beasts and cattle, creepy things and flying fowl. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth. Both young men, maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name is a, alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and heaven, and he has exalted the horn of his... Praise him, all his saints of the children of Israel, a people near to him. Praise the Lord. I mean, all of creation is called to praise him. That's the natural thing. Not to praise him is unnatural. And that's not a criticism or judgmental, but, but what I'm seeing is some unnatural things have happened to people that suppress them or mislead them or misguide them, get their attention. The natural position is for nature to praise him. How much more those who understand what he's done for us? So... Where are we up to now? So how can we sing a, 
the Lord's song in a place I'm not supposed to be, I shouldn't be in. How, 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 how can I sing? <clears throat> um, so, can I suggest that not being able to express praise is the result of unnatural influences? Let's go back to our text for a moment. These people can't sing. They either can't sing or they won't sing. They refuse to sing. Maybe they can't. Maybe they're just too hurt. Maybe they're in too much pain. Maybe they're grieving too much. Sometimes when you're in great sadness, it's even hard to breathe. Has anyone found that? When you're really struck and you're grieving and you're hurting, sometimes it's just really difficult to actually even breathe, never mind sing or talk. I remember being in a place where I wanted to sing. I wanted to sing God over this. And, and when I opened my, all I could do was cry. I just, it just, the grief was so strong. It's, but it's, it was an unnatural thing. So let's go back to our text. They won't sing, they can't sing, because they're not in a place that they know they're supposed to be. I want to suggest that part of the reason many can't express that lavish emotional response to what God has done for us is because they're not really sure what he's done or they're not sure what, it, what, what he's done actually means for them, whether that be subconsciously or knowingly. They're not in a place where they should be, so they can't sing. They can't sing it. But notice our text Notice verse 3 of our text, Psalm 137 verse 2, sorry, 137 verse 2. This is 18 font, I might have to go even bigger. <laughs> I keep seeing things, I have to have a second. Uh, anyway, we hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. That's talking about the river, There's the river, huge river, had these giant willow trees on the banks and obviously some... In, in the water, and it says they were asked to sing a song. And, but the th interesting thing was they brought their harps with them. Let's say guitars. They brought their guitars. They brought their banjos. They brought their, uke they brought their string instruments with them. And they carried them. I don't know if they understood what they were doing or the significance of what they were doing, but they got to that place... And they were asked to sing, and they, we can't sing. But notice they didn't break them. They hung them on the tree. I, I know me, probably because of my temper sometimes, I would probably smashed it to bits in disappointment. And anybody done that? Got so disappointed, upset that you've actually broken things? Oh, that I would be more like you, Richard. Oh, so disciplined. Man of discipline. It's probably because his wife removes everything from his way. <laughs> but they didn't break it. That's the point. And, and when I read that, I went, they didn't break it. They hung it on the tree. They didn't, they didn't smash it. They didn't say, we'll never play this again. No one will ever play this again. No, no, no. 
they hung it on a tree. And I know it's probably a symbolic reminder, you know, we, we, we can't sing, so we just... But there's more to it than that. Their, their, grief, their grief was so great that they couldn't see or perhaps they couldn't feel what was really going on here. They hung their harps in the trees. They didn't break them. I believe that down in those, deep, deep down in those places that are almost undetectable, and we all have them, in our souls, there's those places that are almost undetectable, there was yet this glimmer of hope. They never saw it. They never felt it. But I, I want to suggest that it was there, and that's why they didn't break the harps. They hung them up. Because there was something inside them saying, it's not over yet. They didn't know that. They didn't even believe that, but there was something inside them. They thought it was over. They thought everything was gone and ruined, and there was no going back. They were slaves now in, in a far superior military nation, a kingdom, and, and there was no way known. And they knew they was there because of their own sin, and that God had allowed this. So they, but something down inside of them, this is me. You can argue with me if you want. I'm not saying I'm 100% right. I just think I am. There was something down deep inside them that says, this isn't over yet. There was a glimmer, tiniest little fleck of light. There was this hope that was so deep. They didn't, couldn't see it. They couldn't feel it. But there was something. And instead of breaking it, they hang it on a tree. I don't know if Isaiah's prophecy had been spoken out loud at the time that all this stuff happened. But I believe it was already working. It was an eternal prophecy. And it was there already. It just hadn't been spoken out. So I don't know if they'd heard this or if it had been spoken out yet. But I believe this was, there was something inside of them. And it was this in Isaiah 35, 1 to 10. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice. Even with joy and singing, the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and, Sh and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. For the water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water in inhabitation of jackals where each lay. There shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and a road. It shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks on the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. 
No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return. Getting emotional. And come to Zion with singing. With everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. They shall come. Those who were taken from Zion. Who could not sing. Who would not sing. They will come again to Zion with singing. Now some of you want to sing the song, don't you? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return. And come with singing unto Zion an everlasting joy. They shall obtain... When I got saved, that was Top of the Pops. That was the radical song. That was the one they turned up. That's the one got that, the crowd pumping and jumping. I was in a conservative church, and, and, you know, we didn't do that. We clapped a little bit, but we didn't bounce and jump and dance. But I'll tell you, when they started turning this on, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord. I got pinched on the leg many times through that song. See, I don't think these people had heard the prophecy. I'm, I don't even think it had been spoken out loud yet, but it was always there because of the nature of our God. It wasn't a prophecy saying, this is what God's going to do. It was a prophecy saying, this is what God's like. And because he's like this, this is what he's going to do. They took away. They were taken away. They lost. Don't. They grieve, they cover loss, great loss, significant loss, overwhelming loss. And because of that, they couldn't sing. But he says, I'm coming. And right now I'm talking to us. Some of us are suffering loss. Some of us are greening and mourning. Some of us are confused. Some of us are finding it hard, hard to sing, hard to let that natural, flamboyant, that, that emotional song out of us we like to stay dignified and controlled but i'm saying I, I think many of us are like that because we can't sing we can't let it out because we don't really know him we don't know what it means while i was away i had uh, i was really blessed and i went to a football game i went to a place called old trafford the home of manchester united the nickname of the stadium is called the Theatre of Dreams because that's where dreams, many dreams for English lads are made. That's what they dream of. Anyway, for several years, if you understand the Premier League and something, for several years, in fact, over a decade now, since our um, most prized manager retired, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, we've not really done well. Uh, we've had peaks, but we've fallen. And... And we've gone through a whole lot of promising managers who did good, but they just didn't fit in and it just didn't work. 
in the first two games of this season, we were embarrassed. We got beat by teams we were expected to beat. There is a point to this. It's not just that I'm a grieving Manchester United fan. Um, one of those games, one half of one of those games, those two games, were absolutely embarrassing as for professional footballers. No, let me say that. For even non-professional footballers wouldn't make the kind of mistakes that led to our defeat. It was embarrassing. It, if, if I was those guys, I would have got my week's wages, which was some in the range from $300,000 up to like five, and I would have given it away. I would have put it in and apologised profusely. It was horrible. But uh, we, were, we actually went to a pub to watch that really bad game because uh, that's the only place we could see it. And, uh, and so anyway, we went there and it was absolutely, it was horrible. Yeah, the pub wasn't that bad, but the game, just it, the atmosphere, everything was... Anyway, because of our background, in the 70s, uh, we were avid Manchester United fans. We travelled everywhere, home and away. And, uh, and so my niece got us tickets for that game, for the next game. And, and everybody was sort of saying, oh, boy, I feel sorry for you. I'm going, no, no, just the being there again. Because tickets are really, really hard to get. Every seat in the whole stadium is, is a ticket holder, a season ticket holder seat. You have to... Anyway, she managed to get some seats. And this is, this is the thing I'm getting to right now. We were embarrassed. We were playing Liverpool. Now, for the last few years, the team to beat has been Manchester City, our local rival. They have such a good team. And they've bought really well. And they're the team to beat again. I'm setting the scene. Please understand. I'm not... I'm not rambling, waffling or filling, Stuart. Not filling, fluffing it up. I'm giving some background, okay? And then the other team, first by long distance was Manchester City. The second team was Liverpool. They had the team to beat. And we were playing Liverpool that night. And we thought for sure we're going to get flogged. But we didn't care because we're going to be in that crowd. And the crowd was over 73,000 people. Over 71,000 of those people were Manchester United fans. So, right? Okay, here we go. So they've lived in a decade of disappointment and they've come with an expectation of embarrassment and we won. And we played like champions and we deservedly won. I, I, mean, I put in such an effort. I had cramps at the end of that game. <laughs> when, that first, when we scored the first goal... And we were right at the, the roof went off. When we scored the second goal, it was louder. They, they managed to get a goal, but we were well in control. And, and we won. And the noise. Now, I've got to tell you, I think it was a decade built up of disappointment and embarrassment. And all of a sudden, it was like just express. There wasn't... Anybody in the whole stadium who went, oh, jolly good chaps. 
that's a surprising effort, a surprising win. Wow. No, no. Everybody, except for 2,000 Liverpool fans, everybody screamed. And, and we were right up the back and just under the roof. And I'm telling you, the noise from people shouting, and they weren't even saying anything. They couldn't. They just, ah, just screaming. You know what it's like? It hurt my ears. 70, 71,000 people. It was amazing. But here's the thing. If we got 71,000 believers together who know what God's done for them, who know what it means, even through a life of shame and disappointment, know that we're going to win. You imagine those... I'm talking about people who know, right? Imagine if you could get them in a stadium and the Lord just turned up. I want to suggest the noise from that crowd would be far greater, multiplied times greater than the crowd from the football. Because they're just worrying about a decade of sport where we're shouting about eternity. I can guarantee you, if you get 71,000 people who know what Christ's done for them and know how much God loves them and they put, you put them in a worship service and then Jesus turns up, can you imagine? Bang! There wouldn't be one person there saying, I don't know if I can sing today. I don't like this song. Maybe if it... No, no. They would forget the music, forget... It would just be a roar. And isn't it that what it says in the book of Revelation? About the sound of many waters? About a roar that's so loud it shakes the earth made from people who know their God. Psalm 148. Let me just read it. Oh, sorry, no, I just read that. That's the wrong one. Let me just read this one. Oh, I just did read that, didn't I? Okay. Let's take communion. No laughing, Pam. I know you're laughing just to get spitefully even with me. Okay. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. I'm asking you right now, what song have you been singing lately? What song? What song? And, and it could be a, let's be honest, it could be your famous, a favourite chorus, your Christian songs, it, it could be him, it could be a, a secular song. What, what song? Because it reflects where you're at right now. What about corporate praise and worship? How, how do we, and I'm not blaming, it's not being judgmental, but how do we break the unnatural limitations that are put on us to enter into the natural response to the Creator? I'll tell you what it is. Know how much He loves you. Know what He's done for you. Here, we take the symbols and, and we do it three out of four weeks here. We don't do it one week so we can concentrate on missions, which is the result of this anyway. 
going to all the world, telling them what Jesus has done. But we do this, and I hope it never gets routine. I hope it never gets religious. I hope it never gets dry. Because here is the evidence of how much he loves us and what he's done for us. He died. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. He has made us acceptable. And, and, I, and I have to keep saying this, when, when God, uh, the creator, looks at us, he's looking at the finished work of Calvary. And you're going, you're kidding. So, I've still got a long way to go. Um, I'm still doing this. I've still got this problem. I'm still under this control, this influence. This, uh, this, you, you don't know the temper. You don't know the attitude. You don't know the bitterness, the suspicion. You, I do. But I know this. The blood of Jesus Christ is far more powerful. If it can defeat devils, it can put my attitude in its place. When I'm telling you, and it's hard to comprehend, I know, but when God looks at me, when God looks at you, he's looking at the finished work of Calvary. Let's take. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Oh, though our sins were red, like scarlet, stand out so clear. Yet you've washed me, you've washed us, and now we're white. We're clean as snow, as white wool. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. And I pray right now. Again, we pray for that truth to grow inside of us. That the unnatural limitations that limit us would be broken and we can naturally enter in with the rest of creation and shout out loud. Hosanna. Hosanna. Glory to God. I praise you, Lord. Come on, church, will you stand with me right now? Will you know that you're forgiven? Will you know that you've been made acceptable? Will you know it's because he loved you so much? You are loved. You are loved. Hallelujah. Praise God. Most of our team weren't even born when we used to sing that song. So I can't ask them to sing that song. I would. Do you remember the chords? <laughs> sing it, hum it. Can we close with this song, a worship, a praise song? What's the first one you did? Yeah, let's, let's try and do that one.
in celebration of what he's done. Let, let's, really, let's really take and own that revelation and realize that there's nothing now. Only the things, even the devil, even the worst events, we have to give them permission to limit us. And I know it sounds hard and critical and, and a huge expectation, but that's the truth. Can, can we give him the place that relegates all that other stuff to a lower position so that we can live, live the song, sing the song, so that we can celebrate and worship? And I know that there's trials and tribulations and tests and challenges that come and they're shocked as at first. But once we settle, can we remind ourselves who he is and what he's done? Hallelujah. God bless you. Have a great week. If you need prayer, this altar's open. But let's worship our God one more time. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you were blessed with today's message. You can connect with us at firstfamchristianchurch.com.